0: Welcome to the EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. Today, we are joined by Andy Round from Pretura Ventures. We get a fund manager's perspective on what a company needs after investing, the types of support that are required, and where they can get it. We talk about boards, government schemes, and how to handle various problems that can arise. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on all good podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The show notes will also include a few links for the services that we discuss. So without any further ado, enjoy. So today on the podcast, we are joined by Dr. Andy Round, who is the director at Pretura Ventures. Welcome, Andy.
1: Hello, and thanks for having me, Brian.
0: My pleasure. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So I think we'd like to start by learning a little bit about you. So can you perhaps tell us how you became an EIS fund manager?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, like like most of these things, and, and that sort of open-ended question, we could be here for many hours. But in essence, um, I was I was fortunate enough to uh, do a PhD that was partly funded by the UK government back in the days of the old DTI that ended up being part academic and part industrial. And we were using um, yeast cells as a drug delivery vehicle. And I was very fortunate that we attracted a bit of investment from some local investors and that business went on for the 12 years and ended up on AIM. And it was it was quite an experience of taking an early stage business to market. After that, I was recruited out of that to the dark side. And I've probably been in investment now for getting off about 15, 16 years through a number of different funds. So funds that manage some balance sheet cash, a uh, VCT fund, uh, as well as a public private fund. And recently I joined... Pricewater Ventures, which has a number of EIS funds that we've managed to raise over the past sort of 18, 19 months. Um, so a new sort of vehicle for me. I've never, never done EIS investing before, but very similar in terms of sort of size of companies and, and quanta of cash. And so far, so good. It's, uh, it's going really well. Um, Pricewater Ventures is, you know, quite a, quite a slightly different take on um, doing EIS investments or a slightly different type of manager. And like I say, so far we've been inundated with applications, and we've we managed to deploy the money, which has been you know the, the first sort of tick in the box, able to raise it and uh, able to invest it.
0: Yes, you certainly created some headlines last year with your successful fundraising. So Pretura has this mantra about more than money, which is kind of the tagline that they use, and a lot of that it comes is saying that what matters is not just raising the money and deploying it, as you said, but also what happens after investment. And I think that's an area that is perhaps slightly underappreciated because all the time we're focused on finding the deals and getting invested. So I thought it would be good if we could perhaps discuss that in some detail. So could you perhaps explain what, in some sense, what the issue is? Why... What happens after investment really matters in EIS?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think with, any, with any sort of investment vehicle, depending on where you kind of are investing in terms of company stage of development, those businesses that you invest in need a greater or a lesser uh, level of support. Where Pretoria has kind of pitched itself, and, and again, we're, we're similar to some of the other, other managers in the market, is that those businesses that are kind of just a little bit before that kind of growth capital stage. So in some cases, you know, management teams might not be fully formed yet. They may have certain processes or they may have gone through maybe maybe a number of exercises where they're looking at getting into the market, but potentially aren't quite there yet. And what we kind of pride ourselves on, and it's, it's something I've enjoyed in my career, is is not only providing the capital for those companies, but providing that kind of additional support. So it's things like, you know, helping them look at the team they've currently got, working out if there are any skill gaps, and then utilising my own personal network or sometimes, you know, colleagues or even, you know, friends and other investors' kind of network to say, well, actually, you know, we're missing a chief operating officer in this kind of business. Has anybody got one? And then helping to facilitate that kind of addition to the team. We get stuck in, and I think I think I've I've always enjoyed those aspects anyway of of that side of in, investing. And through a number of other funds that I've worked for, or for minds that I've worked for, we kind of do that to a greater or a lesser degree. Praetor kind of differentiating itself a little bit in the market by saying, look, not only will we do that, but we'll even help on things like some of the strategic marketing aspects. We'll help the company look at things like you know what is what is your true route to market, and again, kind of leverage our own network. So if we've got uh, an investor in one of our funds who's perhaps had a business in a similar area, we'll ask them to come and get involved. And it's that sort of continual sharing of not not just best practice, but of just general experience of how you can manage businesses at that sort of stage of development. And for me, that's that's kind of the fun part. Once, once they're profitable and they're, they're doing really well, that's, that's the bit that I'm less interested in. It becomes a bit more handle-turning. So for me, the exciting part is that kind of early stage you know, trying a few things, maybe even a couple of pivots before before you get it right and and essentially, you know, letting letting the company access my experience of having done that myself, but also, you know, accessing my network of people as well.
0: Yeah, and certainly most companies at fact, probably I would suggest perhaps all companies at are far from the finished article. And yeah. everyone comes with their own sort of strengths and weaknesses. What sort of areas do you see as being the main areas that companies need support in
1: yeah there are a number of different things like I say not not least the fact they've they've actually got to get that investment closed and the majority of the time it, it's it's never going to be the last round you know the, the business plan you, you see might suggest that it is and it might suggest that the timeline is only two years and it ends up being six and it, it might suggest it's only a two million raise and it ends up being more like 10 so it's not least the fact that a lot of these companies need that continual support, so a kind of corporate finance piece, but also just, just helping them to keep the business on track, talk them through or keep working with them on, you know, where they are in terms of their sort of capital requirement. A lot of the time, if it's a very early stage business and the team's not uh, managed the business before, there is a bit of corporate governance. So a lot of the time, well, actually, not not, not that often, actually, but on occasion, we've done investments where, the board is kind of newly formed perhaps they've never managed a a board before you know I'll I'll go in as kind of interim chair in some cases help them just set up the process of how you just do that sort of governance piece from company secretarial stuff to even simple things like this is what a set of you know board minutes look like you know in terms of how we ticked off health and safety this week how we core it and just the sort of basics of of how you run a run a small business board. Do you and see then,
0: boards as being well structured usually at the stage? Because I've seen a wide range where some people have a good idea and some people just have, well, we're the founders, we've got the board, we're fine.
1: where where, where we tend to get stuck in is, well, that's that's all well and good, but actually it's not quite good enough. I'm, I've, I've always taken the approach of, you know, trying to explain to people why it probably should be done a different way. I'm a big advocate of, you know, good non-exec directors, and I, and I mean good non-exec directors. I, I think if you ask most investors, we've seen we've seen both good and bad, and certainly for a lot of companies, you know, the addition of a a non-exec or an exec chairman tends to help a lot as well, particularly ones where. know they're good at facilitating that relationship or actually own that relationship sometimes between investors and company they're they're really really good you know a lot of the time there's there's obviously a bit always a a bit of underlying tension between the company its performance what it's trying to achieve and and its investors and even more so when you've got more than one and having it having a good filter or someone with a lot of you know early stage company experience kind of sits between the two groups and you know, can sometimes kind of referee some of the decisions. You know, a good a good chair who's a, a shoulder for a founder to cry on at midnight, rather than rather than tormenting their investors, is always quite useful as well. So I think it depends. I mean, I mean, I I've seen companies come in in lots of different shapes and sizes, and you've over time, you know, you can pick up the nuances of kind of what works and what doesn't, and what might be missing. So, um, what do you
0: see as the typical mistakes that people make in terms of composing a new board?
1: Yeah, I mean a lot of the time if the business is relatively new, you may have, you know, five or six founders on a board, you know, trying to get five or six people in the same room that all have a shareholding and the company and founders doesn't doesn't tend to work that well. A lot of the time companies don't don't really leverage their own networks in terms of, you know, other experienced people that you can that you can add in. A lot of the time I've seen, you know, even the the person who's managing the finances doesn't get invited to the board. The the chief exec may rattle through and actually from an investor point of view, you know, you want you want the, the person who's managing the finances, be it the FD or the CFO, sat there so you can quiz them a bit more on the numbers. So a lot of the time, you know, you end up with one or two individuals that try to do everything rather than kind of try to separate out those roles. And I suppose part of it is with very early stage companies, you maybe, maybe don't have all the assets in place or that kind of infrastructure. And it's only as they start to mature you can pull more and more people in. Mm-hmm. But good governance is very important, particularly on some of the sort of medical device or some of the healthcare ones that I do, you know, having having good governance in terms of, you know, reporting to shareholders, but reporting in terms of how you're running clinical programs and things is is obviously very important. And making those, you know, having a board that are good at making those strategic decisions, particularly if there's a, a material change to the business. Having your investors involved is essential. And if, you, if you've got multiple investors, you know, again, that can be a bit of fun. Um, hopefully, you've got investors that have, the, the, you know, are pretty much aligned and all wanted to go in the same direction. Sometimes it can be a little bit fraught if you've got ones that have slightly, slightly different views on the way they want to do things. Or, or even if you've got investors that have maybe been in the business for quite a long time and then end up with new investors with different kind of timescales, that can be a bit of fun to manage as well. So, like I say, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of trying to find somebody who can who's got a bit of experience and can referee sometimes, and that that helps. And can and can be, like I say, you know, friends to the executives, and also, you know, can help can help the investors sometimes to understand kind of where the company is as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, certainly, I think the challenge for some companies is getting the right person in a mentoring role. Um, yeah, and I guess there's various sources for where that might be. You mentioned the board as one. Obviously, yourselves as a fund manager, um, yeah. and hence an inv- investor could be another. What what other sources of mentoring support are there, and for companies?
1: Uh, there are a number. I mean, there are a number of I will not name the sort of the blue chips are out there. I think we we know who the sort of big four, big five are, but some of those have quite nice sort of mentoring programs that they that they run. Again, I'm I'm probably more of a fan of finding individuals who've maybe had similar sized companies, and have got the kind of the scars of what it takes to to run an SME that's kind of venture backed. There are a number of government supported sort of programs and things, and, and in the northwest, you know, there are things like Buy Now, which is a which is a good source of information, but also a good source of sort of contacts and things, and some of the incubators do some quite nice government-sponsored sort of courses as things. The guys at Darsbury and Audley Park, certainly Audley Park Ventures Group, have quite a nice mentoring programme for, for early-stage companies. I mean, what I would say to any any sort of early-stage chief exec is, you know, have a, have a good hunt around in your local environment. You probably will find a few of these. I don't think you could ever know everything, So I think we're all, we're all learning all the time, or we should be, and I've I've done a few of these things over the over the years just to kind of catch up on different sort of trends of you know what's hot and what's not and and what are people kind of looking for and you know things things do evolve and change but the north normally is you know quite quite a good support network I mean certainly, certainly I say certainly in the northwest and certainly in my network because I kind of healthcare and health sciences and life sciences um, there is there is quite a lot of support the northwest and the north of England I mean as, as well as other bits of the country are. Life sciences is seen as kind of one of these sort of key pillars. Um, so there is, there is quite a lot of support out there.
0: Oh, yeah, and you, me- you mentioned government schemes, and I think one of the challenges that a lot of new companies have is kind of navigating that's where we spoke earlier about the issues about the same schemes being continually rebranded, yeah. um, which the government's quite bad for. But at the same time, it's still good at having schemes out there. How do companies navigate those effectively?
1: Not normally, really badly. I mean, we're, I'm in the industry, and I, I find it difficult sometimes to, you know, work out what's what is available, and it's quite difficult sometimes to find people who can signposts. I mean, we we do try, or I I do try anyway, to keep up with things like you know what's what's going on, R and D tax credits, even patent box uh, as was. You know, we chatted about the number of companies who who are eligible for R&D tax credits and just don't claim them, uh, which just just seems insane. I've had a few businesses over the years that have survived on R&D tax credits and, and their VAT returns before their next investment round came in. So they can be kind of an essential life to lifeline for, for some companies. A lot of the time, you know, it's finding you know maybe portfolio FD or portfolio sort of CFO that's got some. Good experience of accessing those things is always quite useful i I have my own sort of group of I suppose sort of favorite people who I've used over the past 10 15 years I'll normally signpost a company to and say look yeah, have a chat with this chap he'll take you through the pros and cons of tax credits and you know maybe for a, a little bit of the a share of what you can claim we'll help you fill it in and then there's obviously the, the big four big five who who are any sort of finance firm who will help you through that. But there's a lot of government support. And certainly with uh, the with sort of the COVID mess over the past sort of three, four, five months, there's been a lot of government schemes. The British Business Bank do a really good job of, of sort of signposting people. Their, their website's actually pretty good. Okay. Um, certainly it has been on things like C-bills, but also the the Future Fund. But you can, I think you can very quickly as a company get bogged down on kind of what you can and can't apply for and where you do and don't fit. Obviously, Innovate UK, or I'm I'm old enough to remember the technology strategy board, good old TSB as was. You know, they they do a great job. Obviously, it's government-backed money. They sort of invest in or award grants to various um, sort of small companies across the UK and sort of certain sort of thematic technical areas. They're always a great, a great source of, of additional grant money. And as investors, we love it. You know, it it comes where you know that business or that particular project's been peer reviewed by experts in that field, it's non-diluted money, which is always quite nice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a bit it's a bit of fun to kind of kind of keep up with the reporting and stuff, but you'll see you soon get the hang of it. And as long as you manage your cash flow, because they they pay you quarterly in arrears, which is again is fine. You know, they're they're fabulous schemes for early stage technology businesses as well. And and they do they do a great job. Um, I've had many, many millions of pounds over the years, or my portfolio has many millions of pounds over the years in particular areas, which has been great.
0: Yeah, we'll maybe post links to the British Business Bank and Innovate UK in the show notes, and then that can help any interested listeners to find those. Yeah. I think in Scotland we're actually quite lucky in that we've got something called Business Gateway, which is kind of not quite a one-stop shop, but it is... you know, are getting close to that in terms of doing a lot of stuff for business support. And it's a shame that model in some ways hasn't been adopted across the rest of the UK, although I don't know if that would just be a layer of bureaucracy for a larger country.
1: <laughs> well, I think part of it is also with the um, – obviously you're, you're now down sort of local enterprise partnership level, as was, you know, all those local enterprise partnerships were combined into the regional development agencies – so you've got a bit more sort of fragmentation that's occurred over the past sort of five, six years since the LEPs have been in place. There is something I can remember called the I think the Enterprise Europe Network or EEN. I think they they still are around and have a mandate to sign post companies to various different grant bodies and things. Uh, what's going to be really interesting is is what happens kind of post-Brexit, because, you know, in my day when I was helping sort of smaller companies out on a lot of these sort of innovation awards and things there was good old fp7 uh which is a big european sort of framework and is now uh, it's horizon 2020 be interesting to see what happens with with those sorts of much bigger project awards where there was a sort of 15 million pound projects as as we leave europe and whether the uk government's gonna gonna fill that hole which i think we sincerely hope it will i think there's still there's still a role for government and there's a still a role to help businesses but also um, you know, support support venture, looking at those sorts of businesses.
0: Certainly, you look around Europe and and UK, and and government definitely does have a more active role here than some might think is necessary. Um, the, the reality is, small companies need an infrastructure around them, and the government can supply a bit of that. Obviously, you have investors out there as well who can do some of these things as well, and not just in terms of money, um, which is obviously welcome, and you've got sort of the tax advantage nature of that, but fund managers can do other things as well. And I thought it might be interesting to to talk about some of the challenges of these four fund managers in terms of particularly – it's, it would be easy for you, in one sense, as an experienced person, to go and get too involved in running the company. But at the same time, it'd be very easy to be too hands off. And there's a balance somewhere yeah, in the middle. Um, how do you strike that balance?
1: <laughs> I'm going to say really, really well, but but actually probably badly. But part part of part of my personal problem is I, I find all my portfolio companies really far too interesting. So I'm 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 renowned for interfering when I probably shouldn't. But no, I mean, I mean, joking apart, it is it is a fine balance. You know, you, in most cases, you're sat on the board, so you get the board information. Certainly with the ones that I I look after, and and certainly within Privateure as well. I mean, the the guys that I know, you know, we we spend you know at least half a day, a day a week, probably on most of our portfolio companies. I and mean, a lot of the time, it's kind of filling gaps. A lot of the time, it's you know giving them access to to networks, which you've mentioned before. And it is, it is difficult sometimes not to spend too much time on them. And, I, and you and I chatted about it be, before this uh, sort of podcast as well. You know, sometimes you end up spending a lot of time on the ones that probably you shouldn't be spending too much time on. And they tend to be the ones that are, are probably having some difficulties. And it, and it is tricky. It's that balance of spending the appropriate amount of time to make sure they kind of hit a milestone or you can, or you can fix it. And letting the ones that are, you know, doing quite well to, to get on with it, and a lot of that is, you know, making sure they've got the appropriate people in place as well. Then I mean, one one thing we found work works quite well is is that kind of overlap between companies as well. You end up with a portfolio, and sometimes you've got two or three that are in quite similar sort of thematic areas, and getting getting them to kind of share resource or to share understanding in marketplaces has been quite useful. And sometimes they can almost fill a bit of a gap for you as well. So if they've had investment monies from one sort of venture firm before and you know what they're looking for, you can make a nice they can make a nice referral. You know, sometimes in some of the sort of life science ones I've done where they've had a regulatory consultant who's done a great job, you know, passing on that referral as well of good quality people tends to help quite well. And sometimes just, just even you know getting getting a couple of the executives of those companies together for a pint or a cup of coffee just to kind of trade war stories but but also i think sometimes particularly if you've got quite a small team and you're you're the sort of senior executive in that small business it can be quite lonely and there's there's quite a lot of merit in just getting together with people who are in a similar kind of field or a similar sort of area just to share you know general experiences and that and that can be quite useful so we i do try to facilitate that or we we do even as Pretoria try to facilitate that quite a bit and a previous fund that i that i managed you know we even went and asked the the incubator manager if we could have a, a couple of offices and we we knocked them together uh great gave, gave put a little meeting room in you know asked for a couple of desks a microwave and you know a fridge for the beer and we got a lot of the early stage companies where they were starting sort of one and two man bands to take a desk there. And it's just that sort of shared experience. And it's a bit cheesy kind of building those ecosystems. But uh, it does it does work. And people do get a lot of a lot of benefit from kind of shared experiences.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly we get a lot of feedback from accelerators and incubators about that shared sort of space, particularly when you are only one or two or three people, allows you to... Even just discuss ideas with other people, and I think it's interesting where you talk, where you have companies that are perhaps beyond that accelerator stage, but in some sense are still need that sort of peer networking support, whatever you want to call it, and it can be a challenge as you say if you, if you're running a business and you particularly you you've got your head down, sort of focusing on stuff to sort of just take that time out, or, or even have the network. Yeah, to to actually find people. So it's, it, certainly, if I had one or two other fund managers in various degrees of structure doing similar things with their portfolio, whether it's introducing chief executives or a similar level or, or or formal meetings or whatever. Obviously, what we're hoping is that a company develops over time and hopefully it develops in a good way. Maybe yeah. not always. How does a company's need for support vary as it develops? I mean, you mentioned when when it becomes profitable, or it's less interesting for you.
1: Yeah, that becomes that becomes the easy part. Then, no, I think I think companies companies do evolve. I mean, from the from the very early stage ones where you know it may just be a twinkle in a founder's eye, it's getting up and running. You're probably only one or two people at that at that sort of stage. You know, you're then looking to to bolt in, you know, additional team members over time. So the finance function, the closer you get to market, you know, operational functions change and sort of sales functions start to change and, and they sort of progress into maturity and and hopefully start start to grow out of the teams. But the people element definitely changes over time. And I think that the support from investors tends to change as well. I'm a bit more of an advocate of kind of this, what I, what I term the sort of baby model. So, you know, I, I, quite, I quite like seeing the baby grow and being part of it and, and helping them for the longest period of time you can as opposed to, as opposed to letting them go. Also, certainly when I've when I invested, you know, we tended, tended to do a smaller number. So not, not really tadpoles where you do lots and you, you hope one of them turns into a frog and then hopefully a prince It's a little bit more, you know, pick your five or six and, and be with them on the journey as long as you can. Obviously, as they start to mature and they take on you know, either new investors or they, they take on more senior team members, they require your input, hopefully less, less and less because most, most fund managers by that time are raising their next fund and have, have basically got other issues like investing the next round of monies and, and growing their portfolio. Also, as well, you find that in my, it's a personal preference of mine. I like, I like doing the investment. I like actually, you know, getting stuck into the portfolio bits as well. But obviously, as funds start to grow and managers start to grow, you then, in a lot of cases, start to grow out of the portfolio team as well. So, you know, it may not be you that goes to all those meetings. And I think, I think portfolio management has changed a little bit over the years. I, I've seen different ways of doing it from very sort of superficial, kind of light touch, generalist. You know, you turn up to a board meeting, record the data, and go back and report it. To different ways of approaching it, where you know maybe you've got a, somebody in your portfolio who's got a, a clear background in sort of financial management or more corporate finance, and that that person will go and support those businesses. Uh, and the fund manager is obviously paying for that. Will go and support those businesses in those sort of key, more sort of niche areas. And it's certainly something we've we've started looking at again is. You know we've we've got a couple of guys on the team in, in one in particular uh, ben hatton who's got a you know a really fantastic background in sort of strategic marketing so we've, we've let ben loose on the portfolio every now and again and and even though technically he doesn't come out of a lot of businesses we've invested in you know he's, he's done a great job of of helping work with the companies through their sort of strategic marketing plan or their kind of challenging on their sort of route to market sort of assumptions and things which is a slightly different approach than just saying, you know, he's a generalist portfolio manager. Now you've got a bit a bit too big for, for Andy to come to your board.
0: Do you find yourselves as a team, you've got certain strengths and weaknesses and yeah. every fund manager will also have strengths and weaknesses, probably yeah. different. And certainly I, I know speak, chatting around different fund managers, they're different people of different emphasis. How does a company decide between which fund manager might be the best one for it to give the right sort of support
1: it's a good question I, I, i've chuckled a few times about there's almost a gap in the marketplace for for some sort of trust pilot new <laughs> <to make review laughs> system that companies can access and, and basically uh, uh, companies will share their experiences of, of what it's been like to take, take money from various different venture managers a, a lot of it kind of depends i think a lot of the time depending on Sort of where the company is in its stage of development and and the cash requirements. Obviously, if you're more at the PE end and you know you're you're more at the sort of buyout end, you're you're dealing with very different venture firms or different PE firms than you would at our end, which is those businesses are still they're not quite embryonic. They're beyond kind of embryonic a lot of the times with the EIS stuff that that we do. So they're, they're, they're very different in kind of their requirements. And I think the managers, therefore, are, are very different. I think companies sometimes don't do a great job in their assessment of who they're taking money from. I think sometimes uh, I think they're focused
0: on, let's get the cash, yeah. and that's the only priority. Yeah, very,
1: very much so. Um, and, I, and I think they, they they should they should do more. I mean, certainly any company that I, that I deal with and I look after a even a couple of the portfolio ones, you know, one one of the key messages I always try to give them is: look, you know, there's the little point in chasing a manager that A hasn't got any money, B you're not really in their kind of thematic area, they probably are at the end of their fund life or at the beginning of their fund life, so that they're after sort of different types of businesses. So don't don't waste don't waste your time, but also don't waste their time. And then there obviously there are they're good they're not they're not good or bad managers. I think there are those out there who have a different emphasis or perhaps have different skills that are probably more appropriate for where you are. And you can divide that up quite quickly on things like geography and territory, but then also things like, you know, the sort of sector that you're in, you know, are you a tech, you know, a generalist, a tech investor, a life science or a healthcare kind of investor? And certainly for for me, having done healthcare for 12, 15 years, I kind of hope, I know half what I'm doing by now, As opposed to uh, you know if you're a healthcare business trying to get money out of a generalist you, you maybe won't get that kind of additional kind of added value and vice versa between you know some of the tech and some green and clean funds so i think you do have managers that have Particular sort of skill set and sort of being in that kind of area for a long time. You've just been in it so long, you just have a network that you can allow companies to access.
0: Do you think it's as simple as okay, I, I can think of several fund managers who are like they we, they specialize in uh, digital marketing or healthcare or whatever, Ooh. or presumably, Pritura I see kind of a, a, as a tech orientated generalist to some extent. Yeah. And is it a matter of looking at the team and saying, okay, within, within even though it might be a generalist, they may have two or three people who are kind of more experts and specialists in my area?
1: Yeah, there's, there's, there's that. And also, I'd, I'd encourage anybody um, who's thinking about taking money from a manager to, to basically go around their current portfolio and, and ask them what, what the relationship's been like. You know, what was the process like? How much support have you got post-investment? You know, are, they, are they who they say they are? In, in the same way in which you know, we, we do quite a bit of due diligence on the companies. Uh, and it is, it is a marriage. I mean, you're getting on for you know, some investments, you know, 5, 10, 12, 15 years, where, where you may be with the same manager and possibly even, even the same sort of portfolio director or investment director. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do your diligence. And I think these days, anyway, I think most people are a little bit more open to be honest about experiences that they've had. So yeah, I mean, so certainly we have as well. I mean, we we don't get into competition too much with other investors, but we have had some occasions where, and it and it does happen where there may be three or four investors all looking at the same business. And what and what I've always said is that's great. You know, competition's good. Um, and you know the business should be worth something if you've got a couple of people you know who want to do the same deal. And one way companies can differentiate between who they take the money from is have a chat to current portfolio, you know, see what the experience has been like, and you know, pick pick the one hopefully where you've they've had the best experience.
0: The caveat, of course, is that. What, who might be the best experience for one company might always necessarily be the best experience <laughs> yeah. for another company.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe. <laughs>
0: Presumably, you've had some difficult times in terms of, well, some of the companies that you've been involved in managing have gone through problems, whether it's downsizing, management changes, whatever. How do you as an external investor help manage those? And do you get involved in perhaps provoking some of those changes?
1: yeah I, I what, what tends to be the the most obvious one is things like where they're running out of cash and they maybe don't don't meet a milestone, be it be it technical or commercial, and you've you've got to have those discussions around preservation of money. I've done quite a bit of change management over the years. Probably they have never been formally trained, but you know you can kind of get to the point where you can recognize that maybe the chief exec or the the current finance person just isn't working. And you've got to go through a process of either moving people sideways or suggesting that, you know, somebody else is brought in.
0: In some cases, that'll be someone with a significant shareholder, perhaps even the bigger shareholding than you do, yeah. you have. Yeah, yeah. And they'll maybe see the business as, you talked about baby, this is their baby. Yeah. Maybe they'll recognize it sometimes themselves. Maybe they won't. How do you actually handle that sort of difficulty?
1: Carefully. <laughs> <laughs> And normally, normally over a drink, if you possibly can. Um, I, I've had it. I've had it lots of different ways. Actually, I've I've had some, like you say, who recognise from the beginning what their skill sets are, and know that this is, you know, it's not forever. And as the business matures, they're, they're going to, particularly in that kind of chief exec kind of role, they're going to have to maybe move a little bit sideways. And particularly as the the business starts to take on larger and larger institutional investors, or or back in the good old day that kind of pre-IPO round where you're having to build a, a more experienced management team or executive team to be able to get you float away. And I think in in most cases, I've been quite fortunate that the chief execs we've backed or the execs we've backed kind of understand the rationale for why you're getting to there. And, and a lot of the time, you know, if it was their first one, there's a little bit of a softener, which is, you know, you may be going sideways this time, but the next one's yours because you've now got the experience of having been through the process. I've had some that take it really badly and just can't understand why they aren't running the business. They could probably think they run five or six businesses on their own. For an investor, those are the sorts of people you try to tend to avoid. Mm -hmm. Um, In in all honesty, what you're looking for are, and and it's the same for our side as well. I mean, I'm quite happy to take advice from everybody um, or anybody whether it's you know good or bad, you can kind of work out for yourself. But I think in in our case, when you're investing in a company, you want you want a team that are can understand that there may be some changes coming, are willing to take advice and are willing to kind of work with you rather than against you. I think you've got to be transparent about it throughout. And both ways. I mean, you know, if you know if the company doesn't think you're you're performing and you aren't, you know, in a lot of cases you're providing a service, not just the cash you know please please tell us tell us what we could do better and what what we're not doing very well what what extra could we do to help you that's that's perfectly fine as well it can be a difficult and sometimes not very pleasant process but you kind of hope you've picked the ones to back that actually will take it in the spirit in which is intended also you know you're you're in it to uh, you're in it to make money i mean it, it is venture capital at the end of the day where. We're borrowing other people's money to invest in companies to to hopefully give them back and not lose and make everybody money at the same time. It can be a little bit a little bit tricky in places, but like I say, part of it is the, the experience of picking the good ones and the ones who will take it correctly rather than just shout at you for how dare you replace me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had anyone just do that and just yes, stand still? I've,
1: and- yeah, yeah, I've, I've had. I've had, I've had physical threats from previous, I suppose, executive founders of portfolio companies. I've had one where I, it was only mild, mildly assaulted, but um, I had found a founder give me give me a good bruise by poking me in the chest. My my favourite that I had to duck, I had a, a board rubber thrown at me. Um, so occasionally it, it does kind of escalate a little bit, but I mean, it, again, it, it's part of the nature I think of, of what we do. You're investing in, you know, a lot of the time, very talented people. In technical sense, sometimes they are, they are the expert in their particular field. It is a, it is a journey that everybody. I mean, that horrible word journey. It's kind of overused, but there is a journey that everybody's going on. It is a relationship. It can be quite fraught, even when it, even when things are going very, very well. That there, there is still, there is always going to be that bit of tension, even, even more so when things aren't going that well and you've you know you've got to sort of start and make some some tough decisions normally the hardest one is where you've had a good relationship with uh with a founder group or a sort of executive team and you've you things just aren't working out and you've got to have the conversation on the lines of look we just probably aren't going to invest anymore and it's you know it's not that we don't like you but technically maybe the business has failed it's already pivoted once and hasn't worked and you know it's a little bit like you know gosh so long and thanks for all the fish. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we hopefully see you in the next one, and, and hopefully that one's a success. So I've had a few of those, and again, you know, everybody everybody takes it very differently. I mean, the you know calling it their baby is 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 very right. Some people it is it is their baby, and they can't understand why why you think it's ugly. <laughs>
0: But sometimes they are sometimes they are yes and yeah. as you say if you can catch those before you invest that's ideal but yeah we we don't always manage that unfortunately
1: no and, and and investors investors get it wrong i mean you know we just we're we're human after all i think some of us um and you you do get it wrong and and people change as well i mean the other thing as well is that the closer you get to exit you know again the relationship changes as well i mean it is like I say is a marriage of 10 15 years in some cases and you know you have good days and bad days
0: so what i'd like to do now is move on to our sort of standard questions so Kiddock. hopefully we'll get uh i'll throw these out and we'll get some reasonably short answers from you um, and we'll see if we can uh, <laughs> that might be tricky what we'll out. okay what was the most recent investment you made and why did you make it
1: Ah, that was a business based in Cambridge called InnoTech uh, that has a fantastic system for uh, healing wounds, particularly things like diabetic foot ulcers. So if you've ever seen a, a picture of a diabetic foot ulcer, make sure you have a look at it before you eat. So these, these are people who maybe had a chronic wound for a year, if not 24 months. And these guys developed fantastic bit of technology that in a, in a significant number of cases, heals up these wounds and saves people from the the, um, the unfortunate sort of end game of having amputations or multiple amputations it's certainly one of my one of my new favorites anyway
0: sounds really good in the classic venture capital triumvirate of market yes. product and management which one is the most important
1: oh uh, for me it uh, again it, it's still quite cheesy but it's, it's got to be management um, you know, good good management, mediocre technology, you'll, you'll end up with a, a stellar exit at some point. You know, mediocre management and a and a fantastic technology, I I still don't think you'll get there. I think it's still it's still an industry that's very very people dominated. And long long may it continue, really.
0: Tell us about a time that something went wrong and what you learned from it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, read, a read the small print. B, B, gonna get a, get, a, get a good lawyer who's helping you put your legals together. But I think I think one of my one of my favourites was just not listening. Actually, I mean, the example was we had a business that I really quite liked. I kept getting warning signs from a, from their lawyer who I knew quite well, and I I ignored them to my to my detriment, and the business kind of unravelled behind me when the founder just did, didn't quite go completely barking. But um had a big falling out and a big bust up with everybody. And I, uh, I just, I missed it completely. Thought it would be fine and it wasn't.
0: So why did you sort of ignore the signals, do you think?
1: I, I think in those days, I probably thought I was right. <laughs> I was a lot younger.
0: <laughs> yes, we all grew out of that. Yeah. Yes. The DIS industry that we work in is far from perfect. What yeah. would you like to change about it? You know what, I, I think at the moment,
1: I think, I think you know, my, my immediate go to would always be you know approval turnaround times from HMRC. You know, try and make them faster. Actually, at the moment they're turning them around pretty quickly, so mm. I couldn't pick that one. But I, I wonder if there's a if there's a a third or a or a second tier between SEIS and EIS that could be could be implemented because it seems like you've got quite a big gap now between the kind of 150k SEIS and you know, getting on for fifteen million EIS is there? Is there a product that somebody can can make that sits between?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my take is a lot of EIS investment, particularly in the sub million pound category, is actually seed in all but the yeah. scheme name. I'm also aware the hundred fifty thousand was created almost a decade ago, yeah, and is well overdue. It does need looking at. Part of a doubling. So yeah, I, th- I think there are some changes there, but. I- whether it needs a whole new scheme, I'm not sure. I'm an avid reader. Lockdown has been wonders for my consumption of books. Um, yeah. Tell me something that you would recommend.
1: I've, I've got a couple. Being, being the uh, amateur biologist that I, that I still am, there was a, there's a trilogy of books called The Southern Reach Trilogy by uh, Jeff Vandermeer. I think the first one, Annihilation, which sadly got turned into an awful film, that's worth a read. And on the more more sort of academic side, there's a there's a book that my uh, partner's reading at the moment, and I'm sort of piggyback reading it, which is called uh, Invisible Women. So it's examining examining data bias in a world designed for men. Uh, I think it's by uh, Caroline Credo Perez, which is quite quite interesting, and it's it's quite quite fascinating. And it's all around things like you know how cars are designed for men, not women, and in a car crash, you know, women are forty percent more likely to have a major injury as opposed to a man and also all around the sort of pharma industry of how you know all drugs are tested really mm. for, for men in terms of dosage rather than women yeah but yeah. but they're only 49 percent of the population after all so you know we, we probably should listen to them every now and again
0: yeah i saw something not that long ago about heart attacks and how the, the, yeah. the symptoms we taught in first aid courses for heart attacks yeah. are typical symptoms for men but for women yeah Women get completely different symptoms a lot of the time. Yeah,
1: and there's there's a big section in this book all around that. So if you're a woman having a heart attack, you are you're much more likely to die than a man.
0: Sad but true. So Yeah, um, that doesn't sound like cheerful reading, but we'll.
1: No, that's that's my bit for equality this week.
0: Okay, what do you wish you knew when you started started investing that you knew now?
1: Gosh, uh, probably probably <laughs> uh, getting getting that first board meeting out of the way i i wish that uh, you know it's that what, what are what are people not telling you that they do tell you at your very first board meeting mm-hmm. um, that's that tends to be and and also such as uh, you know there's this regardless of the level of due diligence you do i always find there's there's always a few interesting things that come up and once once the business has got the money in those those then <coughs> tend to come to light I think I've suffered a bit over the years for kind of taking people at face value rather than being the grumpy old cynic that I am now. But I think that just, that just comes with experience more than anything else. In my career, anyway, there are, there are a few that I've missed that have had some, some fantastic exits. And I, I think a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's, there is that kind of, sort of balance between analytical understanding of picking a business and, and gut feel. I think a few more times I probably should have gone with my gut.
0: It's, it's, it's a challenge that the gut is also a function of experience as well, as you say. So yes, it is. It yeah. time to develop or have confidence in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that, that's that's very true. We, I think investors, and I've certainly been there as well, occasionally do get a bit gun-shy. If you, you go through a period where you've, you've backed a few duds or you're not having a great time with your current portfolio, It, it then sometimes you come quite hard to then make the judgment call on something that perhaps took a bit riskier than you thought.
0: Yeah, the last last decision you or last thing that happened can color you it know, does, yeah. your decision <laughs> it making does. all too easily. Great. Um so if people want to find out more about Pretoria yourself, where should they go?
1: Yes, uh, the the website is always a great place. So that's www.pretoriaadventures.com. Also, quite happy for people drop me an email if they've got, you know, any lovely EIS opportunities they might want to have a look at. It's just Andy at and also you can you can normally I think the, the office numbers on the website as well. So you can normally get hold of us that way as well. And in in the northwest, I'm, I'm normally knocking around at you know various things like now and Darsbury. and normally get hold of me.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm sure anyone who really wanted to these days on the internet can find you.
1: Yes, and LinkedIn as well. The joys of, of link. the joys of
0: LinkedIn. Great. So thank you very much, Andy. Right, thank you for coming on the podcast. No,
1: thank you for your time.
0: My pleasure. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you want to find out more, the show notes will be available at hardmanco.com forward slash podcast. If you really like what you heard, you can give us a review with lots of stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to this through iTunes, Spotify and all good podcast players. If you want to give us feedback or find out more about what we're doing, then you can send us an email at inquiries at harmonco.com. Thanks very much for listening and hope to hear from you soon.